Brother Jeff Hastings and I have known each other, man, for a long time, 25 plus years. We probably met down at Triple uh, S Christian Ranch and uh, met a lot of good men back there in the, in the early days. Uh, he went and started church, Jeff City? Columbia. Columbia. I got almost sorry. And, uh, and so he'll, he'll tell you all about that. But uh, just glad to have you, brother. You can come and teach us what you want to teach. Amen. Amen. Appreciate it. Sure. Thankful for the invitation. Okay, thank you for the invitation to be here. A beautiful day. You got a beautiful uh, church building and facility. I was noticing we, uh, where I live, I have a little bit to mow, and so we was driving past. I think it was Jack Henry there. Looks like they mow that, and I thought, man, I bet that takes a little while to mow there. And uh, but you guys got a beautiful place, beautiful uh, facility, and uh, obviously great assembly. And as a pastor, I, I'm sympathetic. Anytime you have a guest speaker in, it's inevitable that, one, the sound won't work, the video won't work, your phone will start blowing up with tech messages, preacher, we're sick, we can't come, it's just the way it is, and so, and so I'm sympathetic to that. I grew up in Castle, Missouri, so I'm familiar with Monette, it's very close, and um, grew up down there in Cassville, and then uh, went to college at Mizzou there, became a physical therapist. Went to Calvary Baptist Church in Nobnoster, and uh, my high school sweetheart, Christina uh, Jakes at the time, this is Carlin's sister, um, we, we were high school sweethearts, we got married, we are in Nobnoster, sitting underneath Pastor Jeff Abels, and I got saved, called to preach, and she got saved, and we began to pray about being a missionary, what God would have us do, and the Lord put on our heart to go back to Columbia, Missouri. It's a liberal college town where we went to, I wasn't jumping up and down to go back, I kind of knew what was there, and God put on our heart to start a church, and so we've been there 20 years this come, coming November, and so organized the work after about 10 years, and uh, things are going well up there, and real thankful for the opportunity to be up there. I lost my wife four years ago yesterday to cancer, and I say that not to get any sympathy, but it's always kind of awkward. Someone will ask us, Where's, oh, I didn't get to see your wife or meet your wife, and I'll have to say that she passed away, and it always, I feel, I feel worse for them than me. I know, I know uh, the situation, the story. Uh, but I like to tell that we have six children, uh, five girls and one boy. And the boy's the baby, and he has a lot of mamas there. And so our old three oldest girls are all married, and I have four grandchildren. And then the three younger ones are with me, so Lydia's 15, and then Madeline, and then uh, Luke. And so, and Madeline has alopecia, and so, again, she don't mind me telling that. She's kind of relieved at times. But so she, when she was a baby, lost all of her hair. It came back, lost all of her hair again, so she has a little wig, and and sometimes she wears it, sometimes she wears a hat. It doesn't bother her at all. It's probably more people are bothered that are there. And oftentimes people let us go first in line when they see her with a little hat on. They, they feel bad for her. And I say, she's perfectly healthy. She just doesn't have any hair. And so, uh, so we just take advantage of it. We just go right to the front of the line. And so, and so uh, but that's a little bit about our family. And we're sure thankful to be here. Thankful for Brother Bradshaw for the invitation. And just uh, thankful to open the Word of God. Well, turn your Bibles this morning. Turn over to the book of Romans chapter 12. And then once you find that place, put a marker there. And then try to go to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And if you can put a marker there. And then we're going to look at a lot of different passages of Scripture this morning. Kind of a topical study. And let the Bible speak. I think it's the best speaker better than me. And so we're just going to try to turn if you... If you can't really keep up as far as where we're turning at, maybe just write the references down. I encourage you to, to look them up on your own time. Always bring your Bible to church. Always make sure that you study to show yourself approved unto God. Make sure you look in the Word of God and, and uh, see if these things be so. And uh, we started a series in our church uh, probably about a month and a half, two months ago, 
based on a, a little book called Made in His Image. It's by a gentleman by the name of Jim Berg. And, and uh, I don't know all of his doctrine background, but the, where, this, where this substance, where the, the literature came from, he had four daughter, had three daughters, and he began to write them some letters to help them in their Christian life, to help them to grow. Those three letters became a book, became a, a, a Sunday school teenage series, then became a book, and it's been used a lot. I think it's been adapted. The one I have is really pretty old. Matter of fact, a family in our church got the, a new book, and it's color. Mine's black and white. And uh, they're like, hey, preacher, just want to let you know the new ones are color. And I said, oh, I, I said, well, I'm still living the black and white days. You know, this book I've had for a while. And basically, the book is about sanctification, about personal growth as a Christian, and how to grow in your Christian life. And the preacher said it right, that in the last days, there's going to be perilous times. Men will be lovers themselves. The love of many shall wax cold. Jesus even said, when he returns, shall he find faith on the earth. And so uh, we're not to be like Laodicea. We're not to be lukewarm. We're to be red hot on fire, growing in our Christian life. And in the Christian life, salvation is just the beginning. So sometimes people feel like, oh, now I'm saved and that's it. But that's just where it starts. And then God has a whole life for us. And, uh, and so I, I'm thankful for eternal life, but I'm also thankful for the saved life. I enjoy the Christian life here and now. If you're around me very long, I'll probably tell you a joke. I'll probably laugh and cut up, do some different things. I love life. I love living life. I think it's worth the living as a Christian. And, uh, and the world expects Christians to be different. They really do. And they're, they're on solid biblical ground in that. They, they expect a Christian to act different, live different, look different, talk different. And the biblical case for that is certainly found... Uh, in the Bibles, you go through that, and in this series that we begin to teach in Sunday school class, it's just a help to help us know how to grow. So in the book, there was an illustration I thought was good, as they called it the Chris, Christopher Columbus Award, that you would give someone that they don't know where they're going, they don't know how to get there, and once they're there, they don't even know where they're at, and they don't, when they go back, they don't know what they found. And, uh, and so we, we don't want to be like that in the Christian life. We don't know where we're going, we don't know how we get there. We want to know where we're going. And, and the will of God for every believer, the will of God for every lost person is to be saved. The will of God for every believer is to be in the made in the image of His Son. That is His ultimate goal, is for us to be like His Son, to be conformed to His image. And so the, the logical question is, how do I do that? How do I get there? And in this book, it really focuses on three things. It talks about mortifying the flesh or... Uh, restraining the flesh. It talks about meditating upon the Word of God and then manifesting a Christ-likeness. And those three things aren't like three steps where you do one and you check off the box and you do another and you check out the box. All three of those things happen at one time. But what that book does, and I think it's a real good uh, study, is it kind of puts a magnifying on each glass, on each one of those steps and kind of just dwells on that. And I'm going to uh, try to really combine several of those lessons into one. All right, so because I'm not here to do a series, I'm here to do one lesson. And so I want to try to give you some highlights of a lot of that and kind of com uh, combine it. And so we're going to jump around the scriptures a little bit here. And I know on a, on a Sunday school, you're the cream of the crop, all right? So you're here on purpose, unless the, the hour change got you and you thought this was Sunday at 11 a.m. But I'm just going to assume that you came here on purpose, on time, and said, you know, we're going to go to Sunday school. It's that important to us. We want to learn the Word of God. And so this will be a help to us. I know it will. It'll, it'll help us grow in our Christian life. And God's given us three things, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the house of God to help us grow. Those three things work together. If you have the Spirit of God in your heart, the Word of God in your hand, you have a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that's going to help be a, a helper of your joy and your strength and preach and teach the Word of God, 
you, you don't have any excuse. I don't have any excuse not to grow in our Christian life. Uh, but what hinders us oftentimes is some enemies, and one of them is the one that we look at the most in the mirror, and that's ourself. And so we'll look at that. So look here in Romans chapter 12, if you would. We'll stand this morning in Sunday school for the reading word of God. I typically like to do that. But um, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Look there in verse number 1 when it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, notice this, reasonable service. So, Presenting ourselves a living sacrifice, that sounds like full surrender. And that's just our reasonable service. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, he's a preacher, you know, he surrendered to God and a missionary. They, they, they're supposed to be that way. Well, every believer is to present themselves a living sacrifice. Not every person's a missionary, not every person God's going to call to preach, but every one of us are to be absolutely sold out for God and to be made in the image of his son. Notice verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I guess probably one of the most asked questions as a preacher I get outside of how, how do I be saved is what is the will of God for my life? How do I find the will of God for my life? And here we understand that we, uh, the, one of the ways we do that is not being conformed to the, this world, being, being transformed by the renewing of our mind and we prove what is that good and acceptable Will of God, and in that verse contains those things about restraining our flesh, about um, renewing our mind, meditating on the Word of God, and then reflecting our Savior as far as Christ likeness and, and uh, finding the the acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're going to look at some of this this morning. Father, we are so thankful for the Word of God. Thank you for your wisdom in establishing the New Testament Church and giving us the Lord's Day and having to set aside this day uh, every week to come apart and assemble together. And Lord, we realize that you don't need church, that we need it. We need the word of God. We need the instruction that we received today. And, and Lord, I pray that you just encourage the saint this morning. I pray that you help us to grow in our sanctification, in our Christian walk. God, that we would be closer to you today and know you better today than what we did yesterday. And Lord, I just pray that your blessing on our Sunday school hour. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Well, we see here this surrendering, uh, present yourself a living sacrifice. I was thinking of a, a story, and if you've heard the joke already, you laugh anyway. It's a good one. I, I laugh even though I've heard it a hundred times about a pig and a chicken walking, on, uh, walking along a road, and they see this sign that says, uh, ham and eggs benefit, donations, and, uh, and, and a breakfast. And the, and the chicken looks at the ham and says, we ought to get involved in that, and the uh, the ham says, well, yeah, to you it's just a donation. To me it's a sacrifice. Right. Oh, you're supposed to laugh at that. That was good. <laughs> and so we understand that uh, we, have to, we, we have to be involved. We have to be, if there's some skin in the game when it comes to a Christian life. God gave the ultimate sacrifice for our salvation. He, he sent his son to die on Calvary's cross. There was no, uh, well, you know, I, I, I'll send the top angel. I mean, he gave his best. And, and we, too, should give our best. When, when God, we understand that Christ died for us, we ought to live for him. And when we understand that uh, salvation, the, the, the will of God for our life is not just to be saved, but to be conformed to the image of God, that is, should be, become our mission in life. That we should, whether we're a business, business person, whether a physical therapist or a pastor or a chimney sweep, whatever it is, I, now that I'm a child of God, I'm no longer my own, I'm bought with a price. Now I have this goal in my life. God's ultimate goal is for me to be like his son. So my daily goal 
should be to be conformed to his image. I should be doing something every day to try to work towards that, to try to grow in my Christian life. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we see here in 1 Thessalonians 4, this sanctification, the word sanctified, it'd be set apart unto God. And positionally, when you get saved, you're, you're set apart. Practically, we begin to grow in our Christian life. When I got saved, I began to realize, oh, I'm not supposed to talk like that. I'm not supposed to wear that. I'm not supposed to do that. I remember my brother, whenever he got saved, he came up to me and he said, Buddy, if I find out I'm supposed to be doing something in Christian life, that, that I, or I'm not supposed to be doing something in the Christian life, and you don't tell me, I'm going to punch you in the face. I said, well, number one, no punch in the face. That's, uh, you can't do that anymore now as a Christian. And, uh, and then we, there's a lot of that that just keeps going. Same way in my life, this is the will of God, even our sanctification. Look at it in chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, Brethren, so we see the audience, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and please God, so that ye would abound more and more. So there is, there's a, a thought today where it doesn't matter how I live, God loves me. Now the truth of that is, is God does love me regardless how I live. But there is a way that pleases God and how we walk. And we would be naive to think that he saved us, and then he doesn't care anything else about what happens in our life. We again, had six children. Whenever we had our first child, Caitlin, my wife and I didn't slap each other high five, said we did it. We brought a child in the world and then just walk out of the hospital and leave her there. Some days I wish I would have, but we took her home and nurtured her and raised her and changed her diaper and fed her and, and uh, raised her. And, and so she had a life to live. And in the Bible, the Bible uses the illustration of being born again, of being born in the family of God, that all of a sudden now when we get saved, there's a life to live, and there's a way to walk that pleases God. Notice as we keep reading on here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 2, when it says, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, which is just a passionate worldly uh, desire, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Today we have a Holy Bible. We have a Holy Spirit. We have a Holy God. The Bible says in Peter that we should be holy for I am holy. So God's desire is for us to be holy. Now nobody's going to be sinless, perfect, but the aim is, is to be like God's son. Someone said this, that God loved his son so much, he wants every believer to be just like him. He wants us to be patterned. The Bible says in 1 John that we should walk even as he walked. And so our goal is not to be like the preacher, though the pastor should be an example to the flock. Parents should be good ex examples to their children of how to model and how they should behave and morality and being taught in that. But ultimately, ultimately, our goal is not to be like a person, but to be like the Son of God. And so our, our measuring stick, sometimes we'll look at others and we'll say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, you know, I'm, I'm more faithful than that person. I, I do this and I do that. The Bible tells us that if we compare ourselves 
amongst ourselves, it's not wise. You can always find somebody that's a little worse than you and somebody that's doing a little better than you. But our measuring stick is God's Son and this Word. And so we want to line up according to what the Bible uh, says. And so there's commandments to live out and there's things to do. And so the rub against that, what keeps us from doing what we should do, is, is, is three things, three enemies we have, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things really resist us and fight against the will of God. And we're going to talk a little bit about the flesh this morning. Look in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The book of Galatians chapter 5, verse number 17. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Obviously, he was the human writer. The Spirit of God used him. But the Apostle Paul, if, uh, if he struggled with the flesh, I don't think if we, we should wonder if we would. We're going we're gonna to struggle with the flesh. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And so many times people get saved. They say, you know what, I, I want to grow in my Christian life. I, I want to do right, but I find myself struggling. And sometimes people even doubt their salvation. Because, you know, I, I'm, I've thought I was saved, and why do I want to do that? The truth of the matter is, is when you get saved, there's, there's two natures. Now you have a, a partaker of the divine nature, and now you have the ability to obey God. You, you're under new management. You know, you see the sign, new management. When you get saved, child of God can hang a sign under new management. Now, all of a sudden, I have the choice, the ability to yield myself unto righteousness. Because I have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that can help me, enable me, and guide me in all truth. And I, but I still have to make decisions and, and yield myself there. But there's always that old nature, that old Adamic nature that's going to battle against my new nature. And what you feed is what you get strong. In physical therapy, if you're trying to rehab a muscle, you can lay on a couch and do nothing and that muscle's not going to do anything. You have to work that muscle, you have to strengthen it, and you have to put it under a load. And what you feed and what you work will grow. In the same way in the Christian life, if we never read our Bible, never pray, never come to church, our spiritually, we're going to be a very anemic, anemic. And whenever we sit and watch television all day, listen to music that's un ungodly, that's going to feed our flesh and strengthen our flesh, we are going to lose battle after battle after battle. Right. And so we have to learn that God has a will. He has a way. Man has a way. Man has, man has a way that seemeth right in him, and the ends thereof are the ways of death. And so oftentimes in our life, from the, very, from the time you're born, man has a will and a way that we want to do. You never have to teach a child to be selfish. <clears throat> you never have to go to the nursery and say, okay, we're going to have a class today in the nursery, how not to share. No, you throw a toy down and two children get to it, and one of them is going to say, mine, mine. And then what, what are they? Are they little heathen pagans? Yes. But really at the root of that is they're just indulgent. They want what they want. And until we tell them, no, you can't do that. You've got to share. And you begin to restrain their flesh. We have to tell ourselves no. Listen, I, I, I could eat 12 glazed donuts in a sitting if I didn't say no. So I stop at 11. I say, I got... I got, you know, stop, got to stop somewhere. And so we understand that we, we want to do what we want to do. I, I remember my preacher taught, told me some, taught me some rules of the ministry. 
One of the rules was, is people do what people want to do. Now, we all have reasons, excuses, why we want to do it. But at the end of the day, if you want to do something, oftentimes you'll do it. Let me, let me use this illustration. Um, I use this up in our church. I said, you know, I think we ought to memorize Scripture. And oftentimes the pushback, you know, teenagers, younger kids are like, ah. But, you know, we make them do it and they do it. Older adults usually are like, I, I, my mind, I, listen, I'm 50 years old. And I forget more than, I, I'm not like, I cannot believe I forget. I mean, it's just amazing to me. And so you can use that excuse like, well, I just couldn't remember Scripture. I'm getting older. I just can't remember. I'm, I'm 75. I just don't remember Scripture. I'm 85. I just can't memorize it. But here's the, here's the deal. If I offered you $10,000 cash tonight, if you can memorize one Scripture, I got a sneaky feeling you're going to work on it. You're going to find Jesus wept in, in Luke and be like, there's my Scripture. And so we do what we want to do. If we're motivated, and if our motivation is more than monetary, and say, you know what, I, I, want to, I want the will of God for my life. I want to be like the Son. I want to grow in my life. Salvation is instantaneous. It's justification. It's, you pass from death into life. It's not the reward for the righteous. It's the gift to the guilty. But sanctification is a process. It is, it is a lifelong process where you continue to grow in your Christian life. You continue to... Uh, walk closer to God and, and uh, be closer to Him. Look over in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we understand that the old man and the new man still compete. In Ephesians chapter 4, look down in verse number 17. Here the Bible says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But notice this verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. There is a contrast between how lost people walk and how saved people are to walk. That we're to learn Christ. We're to put on the new man. Notice verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So again, here's this restraining the flesh, saying no, dying to the flesh, dying daily to yourself, and renewing your mind, thinking different, having a biblical worldview, having a Christian view in your life about how I'm supposed to live, this is something we have to learn of Christ and walk in truth. And so we, we can't just say, well, preacher, that's just the way I am. I, my nature is if, if, if I think something, I'm just going to say it. Now, that, that seems like kind of great until you pop off and say something you shouldn't say. And then you say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If you're saved... You're no longer yourself. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Now you have the ability to restrain and not say just what pops in your head. Or not look at just whatever you want to look at. Or not uh, behave however I want to behave. That's just the way I was. That's the way I've, I was raised. Uh, that's what I know. And, and when it comes to the flesh, go to the book of James, chapter number uh, 4. When it comes to the flesh, we, we in some ways have designer lusts. You know, sometimes people have designer clothing. They have, uh, 
you know, certain tastes and certain desires. <clears throat> well, when it comes to the flesh, we also love what we love. And uh, notice in James chapter 4, verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lust that warn your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not, and you ask and receive not, because you ask and amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. In the book of James, in uh, chapter number 1 and verse number 14, it says, But let every man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so, uh, you know, when a, when a child's born, they don't really care if they wear Nikes or Reeboks or Hey Dudes or whatever, whatever the latest style is. They learn that. They learn that. So when they're a teenager, some teenagers are like, I don't care what shoes I wear. And other ones are like, it's very important what shoes they wear. They learn that. They grow up in an environment. So sometimes we say something like this. I just can't believe. I don't know why someone would care about that. Well, because the environment that they've been grown up and they've learned to care about certain things. Other people don't care about certain things. Other, some do. So if you was to, after church, come up to me and say, Preacher, I, I hear you've got a sweet tooth. You like 11 donuts. What do you think about chocolate chip cookies? I love them. Hot, warm chocolate chip cookies, knock me down. But what do you think about cabbage? Hate it. I could be starving to death, and you could put a plate of hot cooked cabbage in front of me, and I could look at it and die in starvation. <laughs> I'll never get to the point where I think, well, you got to eat something. No, no. You know, sometimes it's just better to die than to put that in your mouth, cooked cabbage. Now, to some people are like, I can't believe it doesn't like cooked cabbage. Cooked cabbage is so good. It stinks bad. My grandparents would make cabbage. I'd come in the back on the side door. I'd walk in the room. I was like, oh, grandma's making cabbage. Oh, through the house. Or I can come in, or if you're out door knocking and someone's cooking bacon, you can smell it two blocks away. You're like, these people are saved already. I don't have to knock on the door. They're eating bacon. There's some things that people love and some people that things they don't love. And we all have designers left. When we're drawn away, enticed, we're enticed by the things that comes within our heart is our flesh. Jesus said, that which cometh out of a man defileth him. And, and what's in us is the problem. And so the wrong view of us as Christians when it comes to sanctification is that oftentimes we see ourselves as when we get saved that we're a pretty good person that messes up every once in a while. The biblical truth is, is we're a rotten, dirty sinner and we only do good by the grace of God. It's a different mindset. And so when you realize that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, I will put no confidence in the flesh. So I don't, I would, so I trust my teenagers, you know. If they want to go out by themselves, and they're just friends, I trust them. You're foolish. Put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, you let two teenagers that their hormones are ramping up and, and young people, and listen, I, I don't trust myself, let alone some teenager. Know, know the enemy. Know the flesh. Within me dwelleth no good thing. So I don't, I don't come at this life thinking, I'm a pretty good person now, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. I'm shocked when I mess up. No, it's a different mindset. I'm, I'm by the grace of God, am what I am, and I have to make sure that I'm really close to God or I'm going to mess up in life. Because within me 
the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, so that I cannot do the things that I would. Now look in Romans chapter 7, Paul wrote about this, and it's, you have to slow down and read it, or it's hard to kind of follow, but in Romans chapter number 7, the apostle Paul talked about his flesh. You know, Paul, when you read his letters, he, he worried about his flesh. He said, lest I've preached to others, I myself would be a castaway. He, he warned about the flesh. He says, put no confidence in the flesh. And here in chapter 7, he wrestled against the flesh. Notice in verse number 18 of chapter 7. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. And, and that's true with, with many of us that are saved. We want to do what's right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. You're not going to find how to be a good Christian within yourself. You're going to need the Word of God, the house of God, the Holy Spirit of God to teach you, to guide you, to help you, to hold you accountable. Those are all things that were necessary in our Christian life that God knows we need. Notice in verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more the I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now this is the Apostle Paul saved, writing this by the Spirit of God, saying that there's this law that's still within him, this bent and, and proclivity to do something that's wrong or evil. And so when it comes to uh, walking in our Christian faith and, and growing in our Christian faith, we have to understand who we are, what we are, the, the enemy that lies within, and put no confidence in the flesh. Oftentimes we misdiagnose when we're trying to help ourselves or help other people. Uh, we look at the environment. Well, bless their heart, they're just growing up in a bad environment, and you know if we could change the environment. The environment is just simply what brings out what's in a person. So a tea bag. You take tea and you put it in hot water. The hot water is not what makes the tea. The hot water draws out what's in the tea. So in my circumstance, your circumstances, if you stump your toe and curse words come rolling out of your mouth, you're like, where'd that come from? I'll tell you where it, come, it came from your heart. What's in when you get squeezed is what's going to come out. When the pressures of life on a Christian squeeze us, when we go through trials and troubles and tribulations, and the Bible says, think it not strange when we go through fiery trials. We shouldn't be surprised that we would encounter difficulty in this world when that pressure puts on us, it oftentimes reveals where we're at in us and what's in us, what proceeds out of the heart. Well, are you saying I'm not saved? No, I'm saying this, just like we have a strong flesh, sometimes we have to cut off the supply line to the flesh. So can I encourage you this morning uh, about this supply line to the flesh? Think about what you consume every day. And I know uh, sometimes you're in a workplace, maybe you're in construction, maybe you're in a office and they play certain type of music over and over again. I didn't grow up in a Christian home or Christian family. I listened to all kinds of music before I got saved. To this day, I can walk into a store and hear a, a song I haven't heard in 30 years and begin to sing the words to it. I mean like that. You say, well, preacher, you are brilliant. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, there's, there's something within our flesh and music has a very strong uh, character to be able to put stuff in our mind. So uh, music's very powerful. Matter of fact, we can memorize scripture by putting it to a song. 
When we teach our children the ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, F. Did you know that's the same tune to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? Amen. So I didn't give you anything new today. So We listen to those little songs and they help us. And so as soon as we hear that, it brings recall. And so you have to be careful the music you're listening to. You say, preacher, I, 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 don't meddle. I like country music. I know everybody doesn't like country music. You know what the problem with country music is? Is the beat and the sound is going to strengthen your flesh so much that you're going to lose battle after battle. It's not that country music doesn't sound good. I can hear a song I haven't heard in a long time and think, oh, oh, oh. you know what else also comes back is memories of where I was at, what I was doing, who I was running around with at that same song. It's powerful. And so you have to be careful what you listen to on television, what you allow pumped in your ears, the ear uh, gate, the eye gate, uh, what you're consuming, what you're reading, what you're, what you're um, thinking about. This is a quote, Christian romance stories and novels. Um, you know, the, the Hallmark Channel. You know, Hallmark for girls is just what Westerns are for guys. You know what's going to happen at the end. You're just watching the story unfold. You know, the good guy's going to win in the Western, the Hallmark. They're going to get in a fight, and they're going to get back together. It's all going to be working out. just don't know how all the details are. But, you know, sometimes you can be watching something like that, and the guy is just, like, unbelievably over, like, nice. And, and all of a sudden, the, the wife's sitting there, and she looks over like, why can't you be like him? Number one, it's not a Hallmark movie. And number two, we both got things to work on. Amen, what a girl. But what we, have, what we feed ourselves, what is true, we want to have a biblical mindset. We want to have a biblical worldview. We want to realize that we're sinners, that the evil that comes within is oftentimes out of my own heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, that verse gets answered, I, the Lord, knoweth the heart. I trieth the reins. And so we can, we can have God give us a good examination and an and a, and a, and a MRI spiritually, so to speak, to reveal what's going on in our life. And so our nature is the culprit. Have you, ever, have you ever had someone say, you know, I just can't believe they did that? We should never be shocked because within every one of us is the ability to do something wrong. And we have to restrain the flesh. Not only do we have to restrain the flesh, restrict the flesh, cut off the supply lines to the flesh, where you say, you know what? Um, I'm not going to feed my flesh. I'm not going to. I'm going to. I'm going to do a fast. Let me say this: when it comes to music, um, do a music fast in your life. In other words, take every bit of the music out, even if it's uh, Christian music and contemporary Christian music. When I'm when I started uh, going to church, I again grew up listening to uh, rap, heavy metal, country music. Um, top 40, I listened to, all, I listened to it all. And so then when I got, got in church, I thought, you know, I'm not supposed to be listening to that stuff. And so I began to listen to contemporary Christian music. Now, it was the same beat. It, the singers was just more pitiful. And they're not that good. I mean, I'm just going to stay it. It's like, it's like Diet Coke. You, you drink it because you have to. You don't want to. I mean, some are like, I really like Diet Coke. Well, you've just been used to it now. The real thing's much better. Both are bad for you, by the way. Never mind, I won't go there. So anyway, when you pull all the music out of your life, even what you're listening to, 
and, and give yourself a week, two weeks, fast music. Try to, try to do the very best you can. If you get put on hold on the operator and they start pumping music, try to put it away from your ear. Try to keep the music away from you. Then reintroduce the music you're listening to and see how your flesh responds. You're like, ooh. You, if you physically do that, if you remove all sugar from your diet for a week and then all of a sudden you have a chocolate chip cookie, you're not eating 12 of them. You're like, whoa, that's so sweet. And so remove, the, cut, the, cut the supply line and then see, okay, well, is this good for me in my flesh? See what the Word of God says and make sure that you're feasting and putting the right things in its place. So not only do we restrain the flesh, restrict the flesh, or die to the flesh and try to uh, keep our flesh in check, but we have to meditate on the Word of God. We have to think as these things. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Here when it says, <clears throat> verse number 2, Be not conformed to this world, be, be transformed. We're transformed, metamorphosis. It's like a changing, like a, a, a worm to a butterfly. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, you have to think like God thinks. You have to think on these things. Philippians tells us if there's anything that's pure and, and true and just and honest, think on these things. Begin to think about the Word of God. Begin to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Listen, parents, if you have children, it is, it is your responsibility and your duty to make sure you keep the Word of God before your children. Praise God for a good church. Sunday school's good, but that's one time a week. Have family devotions. Family altar. Well, how do we know where to start? Well, simply start taking the Word of God, opening it, reading one verse, Helping them understand what it is. Sing a song. Make it fun. Don't make it like, you know, sit still while I instill and we're going to have 45 minutes and the kids are like, ugh. It's going to like going to the dentist. Don't do that. Make it fun. But make them love the Word of God. Sing verses. Sing the Word of God. Teach the Word of God. Help the Word of God. Because the Word of God, when we, when we can read and, and saturate ourselves with the Word of God, that'll be a big help to us. Think about Jesus when he was tempted with Satan. Whenever he, he was tempted, he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. What is our sword? The Word of God. What is our lamp? What is the light to our path? The Word of God. The Bible is so important to us. It's so important. It's, it's, it's more worth than just sticking in the dash of our car and letting it sit there all week and get cooked. <laughs> putting it on top of our refrigerator. Putting it on the table. You know, all of us, I think, probably have a place where we put our Bible, the special place. I'm going to put my Bible right here. But let's not leave it there all week. Let's be in the Word of God. Because that's the way we grow in our sanctification, is knowing the Scriptures. Uh, the Bible says, the, Thy word I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so we restrain the flesh, we begin to meditate on the Scriptures, and then we begin to demonstrate a Christ-likeness that is manifest for our life. Look in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6. And kind of hitting the highlights of this series here in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You know, there, there is a way for a Christian to walk. We're to walk not after concupiscence, lust, lasciviousness, loose living, you know, there's uh, something called radical grace today where people say you get saved and it doesn't matter. You can smoke, cuss, drink, you're saved, child of God. 
And never confuse salvation with sanctification. You can smoke, cuss, and chew and be saved. But that's not what a saved person's supposed to do. So we get saved out of that. And we get born again. And, and we, we don't live a certain way to, to uh, be saved. We live a certain way because we are saved. And so the sanctification and salvation are two separate things. Matter of fact, in the, in the, in the book of Romans, when you begin to look at the, the book of Romans and how it's uh, divided up, it's amazing how it covers, the book of Romans is almost like the, the Christian's constitution. It covers so much of, of what is true in the Bible, of, of, of our own life, the whole thing as far as doctrinal positions, sin, salvation, sanctification, the first chapters, dispensationalism about as far as how Israel and, and uh, the future and the sovereignty of God, and then devotionally how we're to live our, our life, how we're, we're to serve in chapters 12 through 16. And really that's true in our own life, that we understand that when we get saved, we're a sinner, we need salvation, then comes sanctification, we get set apart, that, that God is sovereign. I'm not a Calvinist. I, Calvinist is a damnable doctrine. But God is, God is sovereign, God is holy. And we understand that he has a will for our life. It doesn't mean that he makes us do anything. We have the opportunity to obey. And so we see that. And then there's a way to serve. We're set to a way to live. And the Bible's full of that. And, and today in our society, it's almost like if you as a Christian are challenged to live a godly, holy, sanctified life, you're a legalist. Well, you're just legalism. By, you know, you don't have to do that to go to heaven. Yeah. I know that. You know, there's different stages of a, of a child when they're growing, right? So when you, when you get born and the child gets to be one, two, three, four years old, there are certain things in, in, my, in my family they have to do because I said so. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Why? Because I said so. I'm not negotiating with a terrorist <laughs> at three years old. I'm not explaining the whys and the wherefores of it. They don't want to know why. They just want to argue. So because I'm your authority, you're going to do this. They have to. Then whenever they get a little older, it's not so much that they have to do something, but they begin to grow where they want to do it. This would be pleasing. I heard of a story of a young lady. She was with some friends, and they decided they were going to go to a certain, a certain restaurant that was more of a bar, and, and, uh, and she said, you know what, I, I don't want to go there. And they began to mock her and make fun of her. So, oh, are uh, you afraid your dad's going to hurt you? Because they knew her dad didn't approve of this. And she goes, no, I'm not worried about him hurting me. I'm worried about me hurting him. That's a different attitude. And so in my life, yes, there's grace. But the grace of God that comes to saves us, teaches us there's a way to live. Let me show you that in the Bible. Look in Titus chapter 2. So find First, Second Timothy Titus chapter 2, look down in verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And, and that, that, this is the grace of God that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This same grace, saving grace, that hath appeared to all men, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on and says, who gave himself for us. And so when you get saved as a child of God, there is a way to walk in the Christian life that represents God well. 
that pleases him well. When we begin to have separation in our life, the Bible says, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. I'll receive you as a child, as a, as a father. There's some things in, in, in our life that as a Christian we no longer do. We don't, we don't smoke, cuss, or chew or run with those that do, so to, so to speak. Now, we don't do it because we, we're better than anybody. Does, we don't do it in order to be saved. We do it because we're now part of the family of God, and now we represent our, our heavenly king. We are an ambassador, and so it gives us the opportunity to be a witness. And so whenever I might, I've, again, got five girls, and whenever we would go somewhere, we had uh, the, the, the five girls, the boy, all of our girls wore dresses. My wife always wore dresses. After she got saved, didn't grow up that way. After she got saved, began to learn that. I don't know how many times we've been out in somewhere public and someone walk up to us and say, are you all Christians? Now, nobody knew if we read our Bible that day. It was all based on the outward appearance. Now, the Bible says that um, we can't judge people's hearts. And I hear that, you know, in, in, the, in the Samuel it says, look not on the outward appearance for God seeth the heart. But man looks on the outward appearance. And so how we conduct ourselves. If I look like I fell out of a tackle box, I got piercings all over, I got tattoos, stretchy things in my ears, spikes, tattoos on my... You're not going to think, well, there's a preacher. You ain't going to think that. You're going to think, if I am, you're going to think, he went through jail before he got saved. Or he grew up a hard life. He grew up on the streets. There's, there's a connotation when we look at different things, our outward appearance, right or wrong, we make those judgments. And so we, we have a responsibility to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. So when other people look at us, they're going to ask, are you a Christian? This morning, we, that hour extra time, we were almost like, what do you do? And so I, I said, let's, let's go over here to Brahms. I've never eaten Brahms breakfast. I've only eaten Brahms probably a couple times in my life. And we walk in there, and of course, we're all dressed for church. And I walk by a table, and this guy goes, excuse me, sir. I didn't have my suit coat on, but I had a certain tie. He said, can I ask you, are you our speaker today? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm preaching at Liberty Baptist Church. And he said, oh, no, he said, I'm with the Jehovah Witnesses, and we have a special speaker. I said, I'm not your man. <laughs> I should be, but I'm, you're not the one I'm look, you're looking for. Now, he obviously knew there was something different. I was, I was not going to mow my yard because I dressed up. And today, in our, our, our pulpits, the preachers are uh, taking their ties off and they're wearing their skinny jeans and they're pulling up, getting rid of the pulpit and putting it up a bar, bar stool. And, and uh, preacher, doesn't matter. Where are you going to find a tie in the Bible? Well, you don't find a tie, but you find a principle to reverence God. How Moses took his shoes off because he's on holy ground. There's a way in which we conduct ourselves and and when I'm in a suit and tie, nobody's going to mistake to think I'm, I'm going to go to mow my yard. They're going to know it's an important event. Something's happening. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm going to a funeral. I'm going uh, to meet with someone very important. Uh, it's very important business versus being in flip-flops and a t-shirt. And so how we conduct ourselves represents whom we serve. And we have to manifest Christ's likeness because it is the will of God. It's not just some old fuddy-duddy, oh, preacher, you're sold, you're out of touch with the times. Listen, when you watch sports on television, all the announcers, all the commentators have suit and ties on. It's only in our pulpits today that people are dressing down and, and dumbing down. Listen, I, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is much more important than a sporting event. 
And so we, we want to conduct ourselves in a way that is well-pleasing to the God of heaven. That's not just old-fashioned. That's biblical, a biblical worldview, and, a, and we're losing that in Christendom today. There's a reason for separation. There's a reason for holiness. We serve a holy God. We have a holy Bible. We have a Holy Spirit. And we're to walk in a way that is well-pleasing to Him. So let me, let me uh, not just download all this information on you, but give you some, some thoughts as far as taking action this week. Recognize in, in my life and your life, we're, we're sinners. Hopefully you're saved by grace this morning. And you know Christ is your Savior. But every one of us, every one of us are not good people occasionally doing bad things. We're sinners. And by the grace of God, we do good things. And that's a different viewpoint so you don't put any confidence in the flesh. And, and I, I pray that you'll realize that this week you, you have the ability to make some pretty horrific decisions. And so you have to be real careful what you watch, what you listen to, where you go, the movie you turn on. You know, sometimes it, it takes maturity to say, push the button and say, you know what, we're, we're not going to watch that. I've still got little children in my home, and sometimes we'll turn something on. I think it's going to be good. Next thing you know, there's, there's confusion about their gender and different things, and immediately I just turn it off, and I say, you know what, this is just not right. We're not going to watch that. And I explain that. Yesterday, before we came here, we went out door knocking, and we were talking to people. The first few doors that we went to, there were Catholics, and we were talking to them, and my little ones I said, Dad, what's a Catholic? Now, this is a, you know, 10-year-old boy growing up in a pastor's home. You almost think they get that by osmosis. They just, you know, no, they don't know. So for every house, in between house, I begin to explain Catholic doctrine to my, my two children, what they believe and what the Bible teaches. And I said, they're, they're good people, son. They're just lost, and they need to be saved. And you know what, what the one gentleman that was a really nice guy, he said this. He said, I th- thank you for doing this with your family. He said, I, I take Eucharist every day. I take... Eucharist, and I gave him a track, talk, tried to talk to him about the gospel, and, but he thanked us all. He said, thank you for doing this on the way out. And that was meaningful to my children. They thought, what a nice guy. I said, isn't he a nice guy? I said, let's pray that he'll get saved and he'll know the truth. But it still takes us to live a certain life. You, you work with people that don't know right. And, you know, they, they may look and say, oh, you're, you're holy Joe. You think you're better. No, I'm not better than anybody else. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I know who I am. And it's by the grace of God I am what I am. But I'm going to live a certain life that's going to be well-pleasing. And never apologize for that. Never apologize for living a godly, holy, separated life. And maybe you don't understand all the principles to that. Maybe you're at, because people are at different stages in their Christian life. And you say, you know, why why do we wear dresses? You know, I, I had that conversation with my girls. I don't want them just to do it because mom and dad said so. What's the principle behind it? What's the chapter and verse? We have family that doesn't do that. And so I teach my children, they're not, they're not worse Christians than what we are. They just don't understand the principle of what we believe in the Bible. And let's, let's try to live it out and be nice and kind and godly, help them understand that. They may never, they may never uh, agree with it, but at the end of the day, I'm not their judge. They'll stand before God. And so we have to have the right spirit, but we still have to do the right things. And I pray that we'll do that. Let me... Let me uh, let me close with this uh, illustration. Whenever we would go eat somewhere, like we liked Cracker Barrel, and uh, we'd sit there and someone would come over and we had all the little children and they'd come over and they'd put their hand on one of our shoulders and say, all these yours? No, we found a couple of them on the way here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all ours. 
you are so lucky. You're so lucky. And I said, really? And they'd say, yeah, they're very well behaved, their mannerisms. And I always say this gracefully. I said, well, luck has nothing to do with it. We just have some expectations out of them. I tell them, you can act however you want when you go in there, but you're going home with me. <laughs> and there should be consequences. You better act like a Hastings. We have, we have expectations. You're, not, you're, you're to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, or the waiter says something. You're not to be throwing your food or pitching a fit. And they begin to learn that. doesn't make them holy. There's little sinners had to be saved. Can I say this? God has expectations for his children too. So a lost in world looks at us, and they don't. And you know, the world might look at us and say, "Boy, you're just you're really lucky in your life. I mean, you, you've got a good family, and it seems like you got a good job, and everything's just going right for you." Luck has nothing to do with it. We just simply be obedient. Now, here's the truth: you can serve God, and it doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that your wife's not going to pass away from cancer. It doesn't mean that you're going to lose your job or you're going to get a diagnosis that you didn't expect. But it's during those times we can have the testimony and say, "You know what? God is still good no matter what." And I'm going to live in a certain way that's well-pleasing to him. And that's our responsibility. That's our, we don't, it doesn't come by the flesh. Our flesh wants to do what we want to do. And so we have to restrain it and follow the word of God, meditate in the scriptures, and realize God has an expectation for us. Father, we do love you. We pray that you help us in this lesson, help us to continue to grow in our Christian life, help us to mature. And Lord, I pray that we would, uh, wherever we're at in our spiritual walk,